This is the episode for Sunday, March 19, 2023. It is not safe for work. Let's get started. Today is March 19, 2023. This is episode 33 of Sunday Morning Manga. I am Derek S. McGrath. My pronouns are he, him, his. I live stream every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Twitch and YouTube at Derek S. McGrath. A recording is available Sunday afternoons on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can read my writing on WordPress and other websites at Derek S. McGrath. And you can email me, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. Every Sunday, there is a live reaction to a new manga chapter. Today, we look at a newer manga series with Chapter 9 of Gion CX. Gion CX is written and illustrated by Norhiko Corazono, translated into English by Nathan A. Collins, with lettering by Arfash Mughal. The series is licensed in the United States by Viz, which you can read at their website, viz.com slash shonenjump slash chapter slash dash x You can find links to Gianchi X and other content at my website, derekesmcgrath.wordpress.com. There's also a script on my website that you can read along with while enjoying today's episode. And make sure to get vaccinated and mask up out there, people. We're not out of COVID. If you like what you're hearing, please consider a monetary contribution. Putting together this stream takes a bit of work and your tips help pay down costs for setup and subscriptions. One-time contributions can be sent to coffee.com slash And you can subscribe monthly at patreon.com slash for early access to content. Thank you for your consideration. And speaking of content on Patreon, right now you get early access to my audio commentary for episode 11 of Bungo Stray Dogs Season 4. I also spend this audio commentary talking about the debt is cheap trope, including where it fails and where it works for Bungo Stray Dogs. I mean, when the point of a story is to create an effect on the reader... It isn't out of the realm to just make up a reason to have a character survive because the continued presence of that character is important for some theme or message or character arc that hasn't concluded yet and can't reach its conclusion if the character is dead. So if Bungo Stray Dog stretches credulity for me to think, oh, Ogre comes back, Yosano is functionally immortal... I'm not sure whether I can say these are really as cheap as I think they are. I don't know. What do you think of the death is cheap trope where people seem to survive anything? Let me know in the comment section, which might be apparent or rather might be really relevant today given where Gianchi X may be going. Or send me an email, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. You can check out that audio commentary to Bungo Stray Dogs. You can listen to it while you watch the newest episode on Crunchyroll. And you can hear that commentary now at the $5 tier at patreon.com slash Derek S. McGrath. This audio commentary will be available for free on Tuesday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thanks to my coffee and Patreon contributors, including Emily Lauer, Alec Roach, and Alexis Duran. I appreciate your financial support. Purchases on my Amazon wish list are also appreciated. But enough plugging my stuff. Let's get on to today's live reaction, that being Chapter 9 of the newer manga series, Gianchi X. So, a bit of a ramble to start off, and by a bit, I mean this is going to take a while because there's a lot I have to say about what works and doesn't work in this series, more what isn't working. But before we get to that, I feel like I need to explain why I'm approaching this chapter. I was going to cover the manga series Undead Unluck instead. But last weekend, Viz was showing what was going to be available the next weekend, and the only series that they had an update on was Gyanchi X. Pretty much everything else was showing that there wasn't a new chapter, or rather it just said to be continued and didn't list, okay, how many days until the next chapter. Viz showed no, just about everything was not getting a new chapter the next week, so I picked Gianchi X on a whim, and then a few days later, Viz comes back and says, actually, no, just about everything except My Hero Academia is getting a new chapter this weekend. So, I misjudged what would happen. But, if I hadn't, I would have missed out on learning about series creator Norhiko Corazono and their previous manga series. And, looking over what else they created... I really got into those series, which is all the more disappointing because I find those series to be more engaging than whatever is going on in Gianchi X. But before we get to the negatives and today's live reactions to Chapter 9, let's summarize what this series is about. Written and illustrated by Norhiko Kurozono. Gianchi X follows the first missions of a trio of newly confirmed Chinese monks. Stoic but loyal Zhao Hu, ambitious Baha'i-head Chao Yun, and seemingly timid but scholarly Giuli. Their mission? Fight Gianchi, those hopping zombies or vampires from Chinese folklore. But who is releasing these Gianchi on the trio's home? And how does the Gianchi's leader relate to the obscure origins of their home? What secrets is Xiaohu's father possibly keeping from the trio about his ties to this Gianchi leader? These are all questions this series asks. And after eight chapters, the answers have come in with an inconsistent trip, and my attention hasn't really been focused on this series. I know that sounds all super negative, or maybe we could talk about the bad of this series first. The questions raised are all interesting enough, and it has potential for plot lines and character conflicts that in theory would be engaging me, and I hope I'm predicting certain things correctly because a slow build-up to a decent payoff can make for a good series. 
what do I mean by there seems to be a slow build up to some larger plot? What I mean is, is that we have to look at the main character Xiao Hu, or more specifically, his father, Long Hu Xiao Yu. I apologize for bad pronunciation throughout today's episode. Xiao Hu's father, Lan Hu Shanju, is a rather serious person, kind of like a Fukuzawa from Bungo Stray Dogs. But the antagonist of Gianchi X, the big bad of the series, is Wadu Shu Dao, alias Shane Shen Wu, who, when we finally get to meet him, and see him confront the main trio, which happened, I think, in Chapter 7. We learn he has uh, some history with Lon Hu, and the vibe I get is that Lon Hu is the one who was really securing power for the village, but it was by assisting Zhang in some alliance that went south. It seems like in order to amass power, Lon Hu made a deal with Zhang. And then, after they established the village together, things fell apart. That's not the text telling me this. This is me making a major assumption just based on the very obscure backstory we're getting. That we're told up front that this is a battle between the powers of light and darkness. And that Jane is looking at the world as corrupt and thinking, how can I make it better and that he can use the powers of the Jianxi in order to get rid of corruption at a global scale. I get a sense that how would Lan Hu be able to make a village that has been so peaceful for so long and have an established relationship with Zhang if the two of them had not collaborated in the past before and that led to this village. And because of these potential misdeeds by the father, it's now up to our main trio having to make up for the sins of the prior generation. As I say this aloud and make my guesses about how the story unfolds, on top of the questions the series is already raising, this is all really good. It's like a mix of Thor Ragnarok and the yin-yang concept in which Yan Hu and Zhang both have a bit of the other in them. Lan Hu looks like he is very noble, but there might be a dark backstory to how he became village leader, and Zhang has noble goals, but the way he executes them and the further damage that's going to create is really grim and full of despair and not at all rational or valid. So, if all of this is compelling, why isn't it working for me? It's been eight chapters. And a lot of these details only popped up in the two most recent chapters. Before that, it has just been some Monster of the Week stories with our trio. I mean, sure, those stories do help progress Xiao Hu's character, letting us know how devoted he is to his adopted father, Lan Hu, what happened to his birth parents, how that tragedy motivates his goals to do good and save others in that typical shonen way, all without feeling cheap or forced or cliché, but this also feels like that internet meme of this could have been an email. So much of the backstory, so much of Xiao Hu's personality. It's not that chapter one doesn't solidify who our main trio is very well, and I'll get to who they are in a moment and how chapter one does work really well. But if you're trying to set up the plot to keep people reading each week, 
this almost feels like all of this should have been condensed to that confrontation between Lan Hu and Zhang all the way in Chapter 1 to establish the stakes. And I'm only now realizing, oh, Lan Hu and Zhang face off in Chapter 7. This is literally the Episode 7 rule that I have written about repeatedly on my WordPress. So, the short version of that post that I keep making over and over again if you don't know whether a series is something you should pick up or drop, skip to Chapter 7, see if it's getting really good, and if it is, stick to it. The fact that it takes up to Chapter 7 to finally establish the stakes and the main confrontation and the big bad of the series, yeah, that's still not working for me, because that means we're kind of just spinning our wheels in place, learning more about the trio, but not really getting anything more about them beyond Zhao Hu. And again, I had said that learning about Zhao Hu didn't feel cheap. Like, it is a good character they have here. If I can describe Zhao Hu, he's like Todoroki from My Hero Academia in personality and demeanor. But if Todoroki had a better grasp on the shit he has to deal with, and if he had a much better relationship with his father... Which means something bad is probably going to happen to Lan Hu and leave Xiao Hu yet again an orphan. Or the dark history of Lan Hu is going to do something that taints the otherwise really loving and good relationship between father and son. And also that we can show how much pressure this kid is under and start getting a disturbing fixation waiting to see when the kid snaps so in that regard he might also become like fushiguro from jujutsu kaisen which you know spoilers for how that shit show of a manga is going for fushiguro's emotional well-being i have never wanted to drop a manga so quickly as when i saw spoilers for this weekend's chapter good gods but back to my points the first eight chapters of Jianxi X have been largely forgettable. I mean, I'll get to the good stuff in a moment when it comes to the paneling and the action, which, as an illustrator here and in their earlier works, Kurozono is an excellent artist, and I want to see more of their work, whether it is here with Jianxi X, if this story ever gets more engaging, or in a future work with a better story, because looking at what Kurozono has written before, I get the sense there is a really good storyteller there. I just don't think it's showing up very well in Gianchi X. But even with how good the artwork is in the series, the action scenes in it have been pretty run-of-the-mill, that's kind of the problem. When given the choice, Kurozono tends to pick the most obvious option for the story. It's effective plotting, it's effective for characterizing your characters, but it is a bit predictable. Our very first chapter shows the main trio having to pass a test to move from apprenticeship to monk status, and only one of them will get the job. There's only one slot available. And if any of them leaves the battlefield at any point, that person is barred from taking the test again for another five years. So, what happens? Well, no one ever tells the students that year what the test is. The test changes each year. 
So when a random Gianshi manages to show up and infects Chao Yun, now the students have a choice. They can lead Chao Yun to die, and now one of them can become the new monk in that open position, or they can lead the battlefield, get disqualified, but get Chao Yun medical treatment so that he can survive the Gianshi infection. Xiao Hu and Jiu Li, of course, give up the chance to be monks and save their teammate. That's who they are. They are decent people, and look at this pragmatically. Would it be worth gaining the position but letting someone die? What is another five years waiting compared to making sure a teammate survives? But hot-headed, impulsive, and ambitious Xiao Yun doesn't want to be pitied, pushes the two of them away, grabs a weapon, and aims to cut off their own arms so that they will survive, even if that means they will now not have, they'll be missing an arm and have to continue this battle against the Gianshi with one arm, but at least Chao Yun thinks there's still a chance he can become a monk and he's not ruining his teammates' chances. So Chao Yun goes in to cut his arm, and of course they all pass the test, because this was the test. That wasn't a Jianshi, obviously. That was just one of the students' teachers posing as one. And, of course, that fake Jianshi didn't fatally injure Chao Yun. The infection they're feeling is just a numbing agent that will heal soon, and thank goodness their teacher stopped him before he cut his own arm off. And, of course, there's not one open seat left for a future monk. There are three, so all three of them have passed the test and have now become monks. Again, none of these storytelling choices are bad. This is all effective. It's competent. It's predictable. It's not groundbreaking. It is functional, but isn't eye-catching enough. I mean, Naruto already cemented the plotline of a trio being tricked to pass a martial arts test. This seems like it's covering ground that we've seen before. In other details, the series also falls apart. The artwork isn't unique enough from what else is being published right now, not only in Shonen Jump, not only by Viz, but in the publishing industry overall. It's not retro enough in the artwork to feel like a stylistic throwback. It's not forward-thinking enough to be groundbreaking. It's not mixing together different genres or media or inspirations to make something wholly unique. Yes, a Japanese comic series drawing from Chinese folklore is something, but it's not something that seems so fixated on Chinese folklore to say something new or to address complexities between the dynamics of Chinese and Japanese societies, power systems, folklore, traditions. Something to make this story say something new about our recent moment in geopolitics. I know that a lot of my remarks about Gianshi X is more about my taste and my ignorance. Maybe if I read and watched more Chinese folklore looked more exhaustively at the history of Gianchi in pop culture, I could then appreciate where Kurozono is coming from. I can't comment whether they are accurate in their portrayals of Chinese folklore, 
But given what I saw in their manga adaptation of Jules Verne's Journey to the Center of the Earth, more on that in a bit, Kurozono stuck pretty faithfully to Verne's novel. They strike me as someone who really gets into their research, into the stories they want to tell. I want to say, okay, so Gianchi X probably is a very faithful adaptation of various Chinese folklore stories, but I can't speak to that. I can't speak to whether Gianchi X is doing something that will make Gianchi fans cheer for this kind of content. Is this series doing anything that can reimagine Gianchi in a way that zombies have been reimagined over and over again in comics, in film, in television? I don't know. I'm not getting that sense from this series. And one other complaint I have about Gianchi X overall, in this series, it kind of feels like the fights just happen. There isn't a wow factor. There isn't anything that feels like an iconic moment, like that moment when All Might punches the slime monster so hard that it starts raining. There's not a moment of Rin Okumura yelling at Mephisto that he's going to kick Saiyan's ass. There needs to be something that has high energy to make this feel like, okay, that's an image that will stand out and will get attention. There isn't even a sense of humor in the fights for me to think that this is iconic, to find some slapstick, to get a reaction as either, whoa, that is dynamic, or hot, that was funny. There isn't a pause like in a Mashal or a Soul Eater or a Blue Exorcist where characters acknowledge how batshit crazy this stuff can get. This doesn't feel like the characters are knowingly winking at the camera to say, yeah, we know this is really bizarre too. But there's also not a moment where the artwork feels like it rises to the occasion to say, this is something that should stick with you for a while. This is a sacrifice being made. When Chao Yun is willing to give up his arm, I need to see that moment be so iconic that it can be replicated. When their teachers are just brutalized after an attack by Zhang, I should feel something and think, oh, I know who that teacher is, and now seeing them just brutalized and demolished and probably dead this affects me at the level of storytelling and characterization it does. At the level of artwork, I'm not feeling it. I'm not looking at this. This came up recently with friends, and this is a complicated example to give, given how it falls into comedy. Where is the Yamcha pose in the crater? Like, we make that now as a meme, as a joke, or a reference for other manga to make fun of, or even Dragon Ball to go back to. But where is that moment where we see something and think, this is going to stick with the audience? A lot of what makes or breaks a comic nowadays does seem to be, what are those panels that are something you can replicate so easy across the internet that communicates some emotion with the reader. I don't get that with Gianchi X right now. Even the title of the manga isn't that engaging. Gianchi X. I know we have Viz already publishing Jin X, which 
has its own problems with the distinctive title. It's not as interesting as, say, Tokyo Ghoul. Maybe this is a problem of localization. Maybe Gianchi X should have leaned more into the light and dark themes of the manga to get this series a title that can invoke both the Gianchi and the yin-yang concepts. I mean, I don't know enough about Gianchi, but what I read says the word literally means the phrase stiff corpse. So, can you make a pun on that? Maybe the pun can be related to the yin-yang effects where we already have Yanhu and Jane positioned against each other. Yanhu might be the leader of the village, but the village is only surviving because... Yanhu is so staid and unevolving and stiff and refusing a compromise. So he's kind of like a Jianchi himself. He's a really stiff person who won't adapt, who won't change. But if we can do that, where Yanhu is the light and also stiffness, and Zhang is darkness, what can we do with Zhang that can somehow make a pun on darkness and make a pun on? The, uh, the fact that he's the one reanimating corpses, and yet Yan Hu is the one who seems more like a Jianxi, more like a corpse. I don't know. I'm not doing very well at figuring out how you market this series by name alone. But for localization, to get this series to have a life in an international audience across multiple languages, I'm just thinking, how can you pick out a title that can convey themes other than this is a series about Jianchi. No, it needs to be more than that. This is a series about a character, so you name it after the character. Or it's about larger themes and concepts, so you figure out how to fit those into the title of your work. Or you just make it sound cool. And adding X to your title, I don't know. I know that that's popped up periodically over the last bunch of decades, but that seems like such a 1970s, 1980s X-Men kind of a joke. I don't know what the importance is here. Unless this is going to be a Bungo Stray Dogs where V means 5 and we find out later the X means 10 or something, which, I don't know, maybe that fits? I know there's the council... Yeah, Yanhu does work with nine other people, so maybe the X is indeed referring to the number 10. I don't know, but it's not working yet to heighten the mystery by just making a title that still sounds undescriptive. Some of this owes to a problem I'm bringing into the story, so less the bad with the story and more the bad with me. My knowledge of Chinese folklore is paltry. While I appreciate how the manga designs the Gianchi and how it's even tossing in some visual references to Journey to the West with a giant gorilla Gianchi, which should be more awesome than it sounds, I'm sorry, none of this is hitting me as unique. It comes across as, here's a Gianchi, but it's a gorilla. Okay, what else she got? Well, here's a Gianchi, but they're like a snake. Okay, the design's between these Gianchi don't seem as inventive as they could be. It's just one after the other in the set of Gianchi. I mean, even that is not accurate on my part. We get that snake-like Gianchi. We get the gorilla Gianchi. They're all dressed in typical Gion dynasty robes, which 
should be a real knee slapper of a laugh, but it's just there. They look the same, they act the same, which, yeah, that is the point. These are all Gianchi, and while Gianchi are not technically zombies in a strict sense, just as some zombie stories are a dime a dozen, this Gianchi story doesn't seem to break the mold. Where is there some variety to make each one stand out? Why isn't Corazono putting their mark on the genre to redefine what Gianchi can be? This isn't helped by the fact that the power levels between the different Gianchi are not defined very clearly. The only difference between them is that we are told they are defined by a number, a number one, a number two, in terms of a threat level. And yet, regardless the threat level for that Gianchi, our main trio has survived all of them without dying, so the threat is there, but differentiating which threat is worse than the other is hard to tell because it seems like they're all pretty much easily defeatable. That is until we get to chapter 7 and 8, where Gianchi just slaughtered the trio's teachers, which itself is yet another flaw to this series. These students are spared, but not the teachers. I mean, sure, we need to raise the stakes, and heaven forbid you have a series with competent adults in the fight when instead you can think you're catering to a young audience by giving them only young protagonists, but this is another flaw. We don't get to know who these teachers are. I care enough that they're dead, but we only got names and designs, not really personalities to them. There is only so much space you have in the story to make ancillary characters stand out. Chapters 1 and 2 of Blue Exorcist move so quickly to get Rin out of the church that they had to make the other priests at Rin's home stand out in character designs, and that was more emphasized in the anime than the manga, so yeah, bonus points for doing a good adaptation there. The series knew we weren't going to get more of these priest characters later, so they had to make us care about them and differentiate their looks and appearances to make us care when Saiyan is just ripping them apart, and even though most of them survived, they were still injured, and that kind of makes us feel good. It makes it more special when it's Rin's adopted father, who was the only one who was permanently dead, and knowing, yeah, the church will go on, but this is now a game changer for Rin's life. We get, sorry for the cliche, the best of both worlds. We get to see these characters suffer, but they don't overshadow who really suffers, and their designs and personalities are varied enough that we feel something when we see them getting injured. Another example, Full Metal Alchemist especially the 2003 anime. It had to define who Mustang's crew members were quickly, so that we cared when something happened to them, especially ahead of what was going to happen to Hughes, to Hawkeye, to Mustang himself. I don't get that in Gianchi X. One moment, the trio had teachers. The next moment, they were sliced apart. And I don't think they're going to survive. I know I just talked about how in the most recent episodes of Bungo Stray Dogs that that series was doing death cheats to make you think, oh, this character's dead, but they're really alive. 
yeah, that's because you still need the character because there's some character arc to complete or some thematic value to their presence. But here in Gianchi X, we have a story where people's limbs are ripped off, their heads are sliced apart, people are resurrecting the dead. So, no, we're not getting this death means something, this survival means something. We're just getting DC Comics Black Lanterns here, where maybe they're going to resurrect these teachers and then have the trio fight their own teachers, which, yeah, I kind of hope that's what's going to happen because then maybe we could have flashbacks learning more about these teachers and why it's so gut-wrenching for our main trio to have to fight them but it seems more like a Black Lantern scenario of wouldn't it be cool to see this character now as a zombie and it's like to borrow a phrase from Troy from Community I'm kind of tired of zombies. If I may add one more complaint while there are some women in the cast of Gianchi X, their roles have been pretty small so far. Meanwhile, I look at Chao Yun's design and personality and ask, why not have Chao Yun be a girl? I mean, in terms of personality, having a girl who is self-sacrificing, who is loud, who is arrogant, who is showboating, who is ambitious... Yeah, that does a lot of work in varied gender portrayals in comics. That would be more engaging. But that has its other problem. It ignores how we need characters like Xiao Yun who look like this. We need boy characters and non-binary characters who look and act like this too, so... There's no real winning here unless your solution is make sure you have more girls, women, non-binary, trans characters in the cast. And, I mean, this is me making a lot of assumptions just based on appearances with very few characters being referred to by pronouns yet. I'm not getting a sense of the reality of our world when it comes to how many people there are in this setting. I don't get a sense that this is a lived-in world when it feels like we're dealing with primarily male characters, boys and men, and the few women we get are either Chauhun's biological mother who is killed or watching a little girl mourning the death of her parents. I'm not seeing a variety of portrayals of where we have non-men, non-boy characters having agency and participation in the story, they come across as background characters or just a character who exists to motivate another character. But enough of my complaining. Let's move on to the good stuff about the series, and then we can finally get to the live reaction. Most of the good stuff comes from the artwork. But to talk about what is so good about the artwork, I had to give some backstory about the creator Norhiko Kurozono. Gianchi X started first as a one-shot comic published in December 2021. And that is pretty much all I know about Kurozono in this series. I mean, with a little more research, I found out Kurozono has had other manga series with titles such as Automaton, Chite Rouko, and Maho Gyoshonen Roma, 
and I had zero clue what any of those series were about, and that's my fault for not knowing more, because as you can tell from my earlier remarks, I am really unfair to this series, referring to it by comparing it to other series instead of just laying the sand on its own, and I did last week too. I mean, it was dickish of me last week to refer to Gianchi X as just a Naruto XP. I didn't intend for that remark to denigrate the series exactly. Rather, I was trying to point out two things. First, Naruto has emerged as a er example for summarizing what a series gets out. Naruto is a mystical battle. It's trainees rising to the rank of masters in martial arts. It's having to contend with trust issues between teammates. Naruto solidified all of those tropes so well in recent comics publishing that it's almost impossible to make another series and not get it compared to that. So, one reason why I was comparing Gionshi X to Naruto. And second, Gionshi X literally starts its first chapter with a trio of martial artists forced to work together. And again, it's hard for me to look at our trio in this manga and not see... Naruto, Sasuke, and Sakura there even when the personalities of the Gianchi X trio are completely different. When the plot is the same, that's about how do we pass this exam, yeah, it's kind of hard not to just reduce it down to, oh, so it's a Naruto cliche and dismiss the series. I'm embarrassed by that kind of lazy thought process, and I'm just as embarrassed to not knowing more about Kurozono's previous works, because when I finally got a chance to look at them, their previous works look like a lot of fun. I had said Kurozono is good at paneling. That works well for something like their previous series, Automaton, which is like a mecha series, and it's more visually interesting in varying character designs, at least for me, compared to how similar so much of Gianchi X looks. With a mecha series, you can have robotics, you can have artificial limbs, you can have the mixture of the biological and the mechanical. You can go in so many different directions. And then Gianchi X is largely, here's another Gianchi, here's the same attire, here are the monks. The monks are in the same attire. It's not as eye-catching. And the literary nerd in me is beating myself up because I missed out on Kurozono's earlier series, Chite Ryoko, which is based on Jules Verne's Journey to the Center of the Earth. So again, you get a very cool style. It's vaguely steampunk. The character designs pop more for me in terms of how... The creator varies their shape and sizes, that you have very muscular, stiff men, but walking around all of this industrial revolution equipment through barren, rocky underground. I'm going to mock Kurizono for how they're designing potential villains in Gianchi X, where at one point you got Lon Hu meeting with a council and the 10 members are all in such varying designs that it looks like the gag chapter I covered last week from Witch Watch. It looks like Witch Watch chapter 100 where, oh, we just do a mishmash of different character designs 
yeah, that contradicts my point that Jianxi X sticks to a formula for designing its characters, but then with the council members, they're so varied in design that it looks like you were picking them out from different genres and just mixing it together without rhyme or reason, and it clashes with what we have seen otherwise, especially when you're making our heroes look so drab and similar to each other and then making the villains stand out instead of figuring out how can I make the villains still stand out without making them overshadow the hero's designs. As for Kurizono's third series, Malhol Gishoshin Roma, that series is what I wish Tokyo Demon Bride Story had become. This mix of an urban environment with witchcraft and magic behind every corner but also making it a Twilight Zone series. These are morality plays. It's creepy. It's eye-catching. It's these young people making Faustian bargains and then getting screwed over at the end of each chapter. That sounds like it could become predictable, but it looks like it could have been something really great where each chapter was, okay, what's the next horrible thing that's going to unfold? All of this is why I feel bad about not getting into Gianchi X because all of these previous series seem like they were short-lived, but they're all so different. You get Mecha, you get Industrial Revolution, you get Steampunk, you get Magic Girl, you get Morality Plays. It shows how Kurizono as a creator can stretch across genres, art styles, settings, plots but none of them feel like they are uniquely the character's own. I don't get a sense that this is the trademark that they put onto each work in their plotting. I don't get the sense that in the artwork, that there's a style that you can look at and say, that's Kurozono's. Kurozono seems like an artist who is good at everything you need in a comic. Paneling, setting, art, action, emotion, characterization, plot and character design. But I don't see Kurizono as someone putting a mark on an entire genre. I don't pigeonhole them into any one category to say, oh, they're the mangaka who is great at mecha. They're the creator who is so good with superhero stories. They are the creator who redefined ninjas in manga. Comics, sadly, is a crowded field. And making something that stands out in this field is difficult. I don't get a sense that Kurozono is doing that. Maybe their strength is going to be they are someone who can do a lot of different genres all very well. But I also wonder if to get longevity as an artist, that means you need to be someone that becomes iconic for this one thing. And then you'll be able to move on to the next thing and make something in the new genre and excel at that one. I can't come away from this saying that I've been enthralled by Gianchi X. Honestly, I read chapter one and then barely skimmed any of the chapters after. It wasn't until I had to pick a manga to read this weekend that I went back through the previous chapters to figure out what even goes on in the series. If this wasn't what I thought was going to be the only new manga chapter out this weekend, I don't know that I ever would have gone around to reading it. I already said this earlier, and I hate to be mean, 
but the gathering of that council of potential bad guys at the end of Chapter 2 of Gianchi X, it just looks like the Witch Watch chapter from last week that was making fun of these kinds of councils of evil with the varied designs of the characters. When I read the Witch Watch chapter last week, I thought it was a bit toothless. It didn't seem like a mean parody exactly, but it also didn't have biting satire. It was just acknowledging that, yeah, these are tropes in manga, yeah, they can be cliched and unmemorable and boring, but to Witch Watch's credit, it also was saying, yeah, but that doesn't mean they don't work. They work when they work. It just depends on how do you as a creator make them work. It depends on the context. If you have some basic ingredients in a dish, you're not going to notice them if the presentation, the flavor, and satisfying your stomach are all really good. So, basic tropes don't matter if you have a really good presentation and a really good flavor to the series you're creating. I don't get that with Gianchi X. The presentation and the flavor just haven't worked yet to overcome the blandness of some of the archetypes and narrative shortcuts and visual cliches. I don't have much to say about this council of seeming bad guys. The designs are varied, but none of them really shock me. I can see some of the characters' traits based on the elements they're associated with. For example, there's a character, Kian, and they have hat tassels that float up in the air because they're associated with the element sky. And then you have Lee. Lee has a fire symbol on their forehead, and they have flames decorating their outfits, so okay, I guess I know what Lee's element is. Zoon has a distinctive tattoo along his face that flows like the wind, but is textured like wood because... Zune is both of those. And then we have the character Gen, who is associated with the mountains, and her design is that her chest is exposed. Yeah, I'm debating how poor of taste this design is, or whether I'm the one making a shoddy assumption and need to apologize. I hate to be so negative about this, because... The first eight chapters feel like they've just been extended fight sequences. And I hate to keep comparing this series to another one, but this feels like where this series is, is where Ginka and Luna has ended up. You may think that's an odd comparison, given the different genres, or that this is just crass because... There isn't one roadmap for storytelling, especially in a shonen manga, that all stories have to follow one path that's just ridiculous. But I'm also bringing this up out of timeliness. There is the assumption Ginka and Luna is going to get cancelled soon, and is wrapping up its story swiftly, and that bums me out. And I don't want to see that happen with Gianchi X. I had talked about the episode 7 rule and said episode 7 is when you better get your stakes established because that's when the audience is going to stick with you or drop you. But at the same time, this also feels like Gianchi X is now realizing we better rush things and get to the big bad already. Ginkgo and Luna feels like it's now at the final boss. But it never struck me as a series that this was abrupt. It struck me as, oh, we're getting to this character, and that makes sense because we introduced them chapters ago and showed the legitimate threat they had, 
and now we're staging this fight to look so epic in scope and have the stakes so high, that's what's making it look like the final fight is because now Ginka and Luna are about to sacrifice a lot to save the day, not because the villain all of a sudden came out of nowhere like Zhang now has. I'm not comparing Gianchi X to Ginka and Luna because I think that there is something both series can do to avoid pitfalls in story construction. Or rather, I am comparing these two series to determine how can they avoid the pitfalls that tend to happen in poorly constructed narratives. And... I wish that doing so to figure out how you avoid story construction pitfalls would help you from being canceled, but that's not how this works. There is little rhyme or reason why something sells and something else doesn't. The story has to be its own thing. It's not going to appeal to all audiences. Your story is best when it is just what you want it to be and how you want it to play out, even if you're the only audience for that story and it ends up getting cancelled. Ginka and Luna by Chapter 24 explored various settings, established the leadership behind the magic, the looming threat, and how it ties into Ginka's present snowman condition. And it gave us a sad backstory and origin story for Luna, Beretta, Anemone... That's not at all bad. Here in Gianchi X, though, I feel like the story has just been spinning its wheels. I don't feel like there's a larger world to explore, that there are other threats out there waiting. It's just, here's the main trio. Here's the main trio training so that they can move beyond being apprentices and can actually master their art, and they seal a couple of Gianchi along the way, and, oh, finally the main villain has shown up. I'm going to elide past an awkward detail that I don't think I'm equipped to discuss. I can recognize and appreciate the designs for the Gianchi and for our main characters, and yet all of this seems typical. Like I said, I'm not equipped to say this, and I'm not saying these designs are stereotypical or reductive, but I am saying they don't strike me as uniquely belonging to Gianchi X or to Corazono's own art style. This isn't like taking a contemporary school uniform from Japan, Europe, or the Americas and adding your own choices of color, flair, and emblems to make it stand out. This feels like any of this could be part of another Gianchi series, and I'm not getting a sense that this is forward-thinking. This is, how can we reimagine this and make it stand out? It might be faithful to what a Gianchi story is, but if it's so faithful that it seems like it could be any old Gianchi story, then what new is being added? And, God help me, as I said before, I'm still thinking about Witch Watch Chapter 100 making a big deal out of that emblem on that one character's jacket collar, and I'm realizing how some manga do the same thing. Like, at least Gianchi X, I can say, it's sticking to what it wants to do and isn't adding some pointless flair for the sake of acting like this is meaningful. My main point is, this is definitely a Gianchi, and these are definitely students of martial arts, and these are definitely characters but nothing about them seems as unique as I personally want it to be. The art style is not bad at all, but nothing is standing out. 
you could show the artwork from the series to me and if you said this came from blue exorcist or this came from naruto or this came from even something like hunter hunter i'd probably believe you that says a lot worse about me because how can you say that one artist's work can look like three other series i mean i know all three of those series had their own unique art style but Gianchi X doesn't pop out. There isn't something distinctive like a Fire Force or an Akane Banashi or a Chainsaw Man or Bungo Stray Dogs or Full Metal Alchemist. Where is some visual flair to this series? Where are the weird toothy grins? Where's the mimetic facial reactions? Where's the sketchy line art, the dull eyes? Where are the odd turtle-like smiles or the Ed Elric glare? What is there in Corazono's drawing that moves this from its current category of being well-illustrated, well-paneled, easy-to-read, fun designs, to instead being designs that are more than that, designs that are memorable, iconic, unique, one-of-a-kind, something only Corazono, and admittedly their assistance, could pull off. Or maybe I'm just not a fan of Gianchi. I mean, as I keep reiterating, I'm not familiar enough with the fiction, but I would hope that I could still enjoy this, but I'm not really getting it. At least Corazono's art seems like a fun mix of, well, this is an odd comparison, but reading their art, it's like if you combine the artwork of Blue Exorcist with Peanuts. And yeah, I'm saying that I've seen enough of Charlie Brown in the design of Julie, which is saying something and is impressive for this series. And I kind of wish that it leaned more into that with that kind of quirkiness. Just like Ginka and Luna, even the arrival of the Big Bad, who insists ominously that the time has come, this seems like the story is telegraphing to readers that, yeah, the series is going to end soon. That's not a bad thing. For all the malaise at the potential end of Ginka and Luna, I do appreciate the story was getting to the big bad. I would love to see a mangaka plan out an entire series to just be 25 chapters. That seems like that's now the new goal. What if a mangaka was like, I'm going to write a story by the end of chapter 25 that story will be over we'll wrap up the big bad we'll wrap up the fight we'll wrap up everything else and then if the series takes off and is super popular and the editor doesn't want the creator to stop making it the editor could say don't change your plans for those 25 chapters but get started on part two of your series so what would part two be it would be okay Maybe it's the same characters, or maybe it isn't, but we keep the same setting, same organization, we don't have the same big bad, or maybe we do, but now the big bad's the hero of part two. Maybe the problem that you're trying to solve is larger than the one last time. Maybe it's actually the same larger problem as the finding the plot, but because it's new characters, how they approach the problem is different. I mean, that would be cool if Gianchi X ends at chapter 25, we see our trio defeat the big bad, and then chapter 26 comes around, and we have a new team, and they're fighting the next big bad. I don't know. It's like what I'd like to see Shueisha and other publishers go for, to let creators craft shorter series, 
but within larger settings that can let the creator tell their complete story, but get them room to expand that story later with new iterations. Think about how we have Chainsaw Man Part 1 and Part 2. You got to wrap up one story, now you get to start up a new one. Same characters still popping up in both, but the focus on who our protagonist is has shifted, as has the plot and hence the problem to solve. The alliances had changed, the stakes had changed, but it's still serving the same overall theme and message that has been there since the beginning, only maybe now that theme and that message is warped or refracted because of how the new protagonist we are following is responding to all of this. Or maybe I should just take the series in a more educational way. Perhaps I should just be reading this as an introduction to Chinese folklore, including about Gianchi as well as Journey to the West. In any case, I have rambled on for an hour, so we should just get started with today's live reaction and see whether Chapter 9 helps Gianchi X turn out better. This is Chapter 9 of Gianchi X, is written and illustrated by Norhiko Corazono, translated into English by Nathan A. Collins, with lettering by Arbash Mughal. The series is licensed in the United States by Viz. You can read it at their website, viz.com slash shonenjump slash chapters slash X. Our first page is the title page. Lan Hu has his back turned towards us as he stares at waterfalls. The chapter is titled Lan Hu Shu the Dadoshi we're already getting vibes that this is going to be the death of Lon Hu just from this first page. I don't know that that's what's going to happen, but it's the vibe. Why would you name your chapter after him as the leader of the village when that was the introduction he already gave in the previous chapter? Lon Hu ended the previous chapter insisting he is the leader of this village and watch what he can do. I don't think you would name your chapter this to show his power. We already saw his power last time. This is a chapter whose title suggests this is the end of his time as leader. That's why we need to announce his role as leader. Turning to page two and three, we see that Jane is actually pleased to see this fight unfold as he realizes that he really needs to kill Lan Hu. While the main trio are excited to see the victory against the gorilla Gianchi, all of Zhang's followers are upset and ready to bring the fight to Lan Hu. Lan Hu releases a seal that summons enough energy that shocks even Zhang. The trio realizes that their leader is manifesting all of his Don Lee at once. I anticipate this is to expose how big a threat this actually is, but it's also the characters realizing how powerful the leader is. Even the fact that Jane is shocked. Is that shocked that his old friend has this much power? Or shocked that he is going to use this much power for what shouldn't be as big a threat? Let's keep going and see what happens. Again, the creator... Crozono is no slouch on artwork and on paneling, and now we're finally getting a design that allows for some variety in the series. This being that Lan Hu has summoned, 
is iconic. This is a design that is both bird-like, and it's not Vajra exactly, but there is such an ominous feeling behind this being that we are witnessing that you can imagine all of the different parts you could grab from Chinese folklore. I think you could even grab from Buddhism, from South Asian artwork. That's really good to see something that is evocative of varying designs and is standing out. That it took getting to chapter 9 to get to this point is disappointing. I almost wish we had seen Lan Hu summon something not this magnificent and large before, but something like this to show there is a larger world and varying designs to what can be in this setting. I also appreciate that the power is so much for Lon Hu that it looks like the power is dissolving him, and while it has Lon Hu still standing in the light, his face is so shadowed. The series continues to play with the yin-yang cliché in terms of there's a bit of dark and light in all people, and that even a glowing beacon of hope like Lon Hu has his dark side. Not the most complex idea, but I appreciate the artwork emphasizing the points. Zane is confused how Lon Hu's Don Lee isn't sealed away. One of Zane's sec brothers explains, with a laugh, saying that Lon Hu is releasing enough Don Lee to break through the unshackling spell. The strength of our curse seems to be holding back only half of his true power. Zhang does not look pleased about this. So how did Zhang get such bad information to tell him that his old friends would be a pushover when obviously they didn't anticipate just how much power Lan Hu has? Could this be because... In the intervening years, Lan Hu has done something awful to get more power, and that's his dark side? Or is Zhang someone else's puppet, and this sec brother is pulling the strings on him? Let's keep reading. We have two silent pages, where all that happens is Lan Hu, we now see his face again, he's no longer in shadow, and he quickly moves his arms through two to three, maybe even five, of the towering Gianchi and slices their heads off before punching out the heads of more of them. Again, good paneling, good use of full pages. It, I mean, this is me nitpicking. This is not me suggesting that this was at all a bad choice. It's me just thinking of other ways you could have gone. When you have only about 20 pages per week for your series, to now show this battle and take up entire pages where one page is just one entire panel, that's not using all the pages you have. Is this to use up the space because you don't know what else to fill in? Or was this planned so that you can not rush getting to whatever tragedy likely is coming for Lan Hu. 
We're not seeing much of how the others are reacting to this. Zhao Hu looks surprised from the back. I almost wish we had an image showing his facial reaction to this. Is it pride? Is it fear? Is it shock? Is it worry? This is his dad in this fight. Let's see what he's looking at. In any case, Lon Hu then does a five mountain riff attack, splitting one of the Gianchi into pieces with five slices. We now cut to see the trio looking shocked at what they see, at the full power of the leader of their village doing this. But at that moment, Zane announces how about this, and through, as the smoke clears, we see that behind Zane is Zuke. I had to go back and double check whether we saw Zuke before. I'm pretty sure we did in that Council of Vague Evil. No, they weren't part of the council. I was getting them confused with the great goddess Jitian Zunu. So this must be a new character, Zuke. I don't know how I feel about this with this introduction. Lan Hu is scared to see this, and then Zuke tugs on some rope. So who's that in the shadows? Is it gonna be someone else Lan Hu knows, or did Zhao Kei just capture our main trio? Zuke has captured Zhu Tian, the leader of the council. The trio recognizes Zhu Tian and is shocked as well. Okay, so I am missing something in this series because Lon Hu explains that he had already commanded Zhu Kei to protect Jiu Qian. I don't remember that happening, so I must have missed something in really going way too quickly through the nine chapters. I don't want to believe you are the one who led these villains into Zhenxian Village. Zhu Kei explains that he is doing this for a greater purpose. We're then hinted at that Juke has been a spy this entire time. Again, this twist would mean something if we got to know these characters. This all feels like stuff that, I hate to say it, should have been established by Chapter 1. Imagine if Juke, we had spent more time with them as a teacher of the trio and got to see them being very personable, very friendly, a very good teacher... What if it was them leading them on far more missions and we got to see more about them? Now, Grant, this encourages me, go and reread the previous chapters and maybe then you'll notice that Juke was up to no good in the background as the students were taking their lessons. Juke is complimented by Jane for capturing Jiotian and then Jane slices Jiotian's head garb off and says please to make your acquaintance while Yan Hu just stares in anger and Jiu Tian just looks at us the audience with fear as she's looking at Jane the design for her is youthful I won't say that she's a young character I am not sure what reaction we are to get from this. Are we to think she's younger than her years or just think this is someone who with the way her hair is styled is maintaining a more innocent, more immature, more childish, more 
to be protected appearance that this is someone who should be protected that's why we are designing them to look more youthful i don't know what point is being made and it conflicts with the title to the chapter this was a chapter that you think oh it's about Lon who and that it ends with no it's actually about the capture of Zhu tien would this have worked better to withhold the chapter title until the very end and then reveal that the chapter title was about Zhu Tien. I don't know. And I'm regretting how long I spent prefacing what this chapter was going to be about and how this series has been working when my reaction to all of this just comes down to, huh, that was a quick 22 pages with not much of a cliffhanger. But I guess next time we will discover what are they going to do with Zhu Tien. I imagine they're going to keep her because why would you just kill a leader when you could instead get her power? But I can't say I'm very engaged with what transpired in this chapter. I'll wrap up there. Thanks for listening to this week's Sunday Morning Manga. What longevity do you think Gianchi X has? Are you enjoying the artwork? How do you think this story could be more engaging? Please share your remarks in the comment section or send me an email, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. As a reminder, please keep your feedback respectful. We are cultivating an anti-bigotry space here. If you like what you heard, please let me know. Contributions at coffee.com slash derek.s.mcgrath and patreon.com slash derek.s.mcgrath are appreciated. Please include a note to let me know what you liked in the live stream and what you would like to hear more of, and your contributions give you the opportunity to recommend works for me to cover each week. You can join other Coffee and Patreon contributors such as Emily Lauer, Alec Roach, and Alexis Duran. Thank you all for your support. And if you like what you heard, or didn't like what you heard, you can check out other people's awesome stuff. A blog roll of recommended people to check out is on my website, DerekSMcGrath.wordpress.com. Today, I want to plug Irregulars Productions, a YouTube channel featuring fan-created content related to the series Soul Eater. Why don't you check out episode one of their Soul Eater Not a Bridge series? You can watch and subscribe to their channel. Link is in the description. And one more thing before we wrap up today. I mentioned this last time, but don't forget, Wisconsin is having a judge election coming up on April 4, 2023. Please read the posts in the description from Paul Hogarth at Daily Coast to learn how you can get out the vote. It is important for elections moving forward that a responsible person sits on the court who will make sure the right to vote is protected and that votes are counted accurately and that the vote totals are not undermined by a legislature ignoring the vote count to install the candidate they want. Please visit the link in the description for how you can help campaign ahead of this election. That's all for today. Next Sunday morning, we finally get back to Undead Unluck with a live reaction to Chapter 152. Stay safe out there, people. Please make sure to mask up, get vaccinated, register to vote, campaign against fascism, and learn and practice anti-bigotry. Until next Sunday, I've been Derek S. McGrath. You have a good afternoon. Bye. Sunday Morning Manga is intended for information and entertainment purposes only. 
It is not endorsed by any companies mentioned, any persons mentioned, or any financial contributors mentioned. All names, pictures, and sounds are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content is the intellectual property of the speaker, me, unless otherwise indicated. The views and opinions expressed on this live stream are those of the speaker, me, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any other persons mentioned in this stream. Music today include the tracks titled Los Angeles by Music Production, Sunshine by Lemon Music Studio, alias Alexander Lisenkoff, and Over the Edge by OY Studio. These songs are royalty-free and available at Pixabay. Links are in the description.